In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The cross is a paradox, a terrible symbol of agony and pain, and yet representative of our hope for the future. We can spend so much time focusing on the suffering it represents that we forget it speaks of a glorious future. Unquote. So writes the one for whom in our intercessions we shall shortly pray this prayer. And I quote the prayer. We pray for those whose commitment to truth brings them into conflict with earthly powers that they may have the courage to endure especially for Canon Andrew White, rector of St. George's, Baghdad, and for the needs of Christians in Iraq. Canon Andrew White has touched us all. His dedication to the care of the congregation he shepherds in Iraq makes itself manifest whenever one is in his presence. White writes, In a few hours' time, over a thousand of my congregation will be here to worship. All of them have experienced hardship, and many of them have seen terrible things. They may have had their homes destroyed, or their husbands or children kidnapped or killed, or been injured in an explosion themselves, and yet they all have hope. I remember one day when I was crying after some of our people had been killed and the continued loss of life was so great that it completely overwhelmed me. Some of our children came to me and said, don't cry, Abba, don't cry, Daddy. This is what all children call me, Abba, Daddy. The children continued, they are with Jesus now, and he speaks the same language as them, Aramaic, end quote. Christians have been in Iraq since the beginning of the Christian church, something we forget. The situation in which Canon Andrew carries out his ministry reminds one that the covenant promise, the promise quoted by the prophet Jeremiah, is given at a cost, cost to God and a cost to us. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. End quote. Well, the day in which teaching has ended has not yet come. I regret for your sake. Bear with me for another few moments. How much we hope for that day when this will all be true, when the law of God is written in our hearts, when we only to desire to do what he desires that we do, when that promise shall be fulfilled. Right now, each one of us must teach our neighbor and learn from our neighbor as well. It is a slow, drawn-out, and painful process a lot of trial and error factored in. Yet it is in suffering that the kingdom is brought into being. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and it is in the midst of this dramatic period 
that the vindication of Jesus' lordship, this time in which Jesus promised to his followers, is to come true. His promise that they too should carry their cross to the point of suffering and death so that others may live. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Not just be their God, but be the God who is there where his people are. There with his people as he was there in the garden and there in the desert leading his people to the promised land, tabernacling and in the temple as well until the exile. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And how will that law be inscribed in the heart? By an act of divine intervention carried out in the dark of night, the seed growing deep in the earth one knows not how may be, but the word, the seed, must be broadcast before it can be planted. It must be scattered and sown by a preacher. And a lot of the seed will go to waste. Think of the parable of the sower. Most of the hearers of Jesus' message were in no way disposed to hear it, to receive it. They were stony ground, a pathway worn down by war and overgrown with the weeds of a war-weary world. Nevertheless, the promise has been kept, the covenant promise of Jeremiah. The story has reached its climax. Israel's God has returned, even though most do not know it, and those who do not know what to do with it. Jesus' death will ensure that, from failure, Israel will raise her king to rule. At least through death, Jesus will achieve in death what he could not do through life, through continued living on as he was going. The new grain that will be scattered in the blood at the foot of the cross will be broadcast throughout the world to the nations. This is a story of triumph. But for whatever reason, the suffering and death is part and parcel of the triumph. The resurrection, the vindication, a vindication without vindictiveness, an irrefutable proof that everything Jesus claimed of himself was true, is true, is sown at the foot of the cross. For whatever reason, the cross and the kingdom are bound together. Something we have to remind ourselves of is totally absent in the creed, any mention of the kingdom. The triumph of the kingdom, the triumphal procession of the king, the pathway of the Lord of creation to his throne is one of suffering before it is of glory. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The rulers of this world will overreach themselves again and again as they did then, 2,000 years ago, crucifying the Son of God, whom they will mockingly designate as king, in an illegitimate exercise of their legitimate God-given power and authority, they will go too far. They will collapse under their own overextended weight as they reach out once more to clutch some vision of glory that has its roots not at the foot of the cross, but in the darkest places of the human heart. It's glory, and our idea of glory again and again, 
that frustrates God's plan to share with us his glory. But Jesus, the Messiah, will be lifted up, exalted not on a throne of gold, but on the cross that bears its weight, his weight, and opens its hard wooden embrace to return him to his father. Jesus, Israel's God and Israel's king, both at once, will at that moment dismiss the powers and principalities, those who make us believe that lasting peace may be achieved by war. War may relieve the burden of even greater tyranny, but it will be the witness of St. George's Baghdad that secures the final victory of peace and of the Prince of Peace. Some Greeks come to the disciples today in our reading. They wish to see Jesus. They are taken into his presence, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Andrew White's career, if I may call it that, has taken him from the practice of medicine to the practice of law through a season of local government to the church. The office he inhabited at Coventry Cathedral was a cozy nook, crammed with books and the rewards of a life fully lived. Awards, photos, memorabilia of all kinds. I remember the little uh, scarf that Yasser Arafat autograph for one of his children. White enjoyed those times, centered around the wife and children who loved him, the benefits of a structured society. He also enjoyed the privileges of instant access to the world's leaders, to all of them. He was a celebrity. Yet here, at last in Baghdad, at the end of the earth, in a hell hole, in a place which the world is already forgetting, he has found the end of the path on which Jesus was always leading him. One by one, he has shed the accoutrements, the trappings of whatever power and prestige and even possessions he once enjoyed, and he carried those trappings lightly. But he has given them all up. The multiple sclerosis with which he was diagnosed in his 20s has followed him there, but miraculously it is in abatement. Andrew White writes, I have never seen such love, joy, and peace in the midst of so much tragedy. I talk constantly about the love I experience at St. George's because it is so tangible. But so is the joy, despite the terror and violence which surround us. At the heart of our church is amazing joy, not just in theory, but in practice. The joy of the Lord is indeed our strength. Yes, we cry and grieve and often despair when our people are injured or killed, but we soon return to joy. This is glory. And if there is a message for all of us, it is that this is what it looks like, what it can look like, 
when we take Jesus at his word and allow him to bring the glory of the cross and the glory of the kingdom together in our hearts and in our lives. As N.T. Wright observes, the story of Israel is the story of how God deals with evil. He draws it into one place, allowing it to do its worst at that point. And he himself goes to that place, becoming Israel in person in order that evil might do its worst to him and so expend its force once and for all. For us, the followers of Christ the King, the path is the same. How could it be any different? Each of us in our way will suffer and find in suffering that the kingdom is coming into being in a way we might never have imagined. Praise God. Amen.